Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. This week, we're featuring a highlight from our series, The Female Gaze, currently running through August 9th. This international series spotlights the amazing work of such accomplished female cinematographers as Agnes Goddard, Natasha Breyer, Kirsten Johnson, and Joan Churchill, screening films by directors like Claire Denis, Jacques Rivette, Chantelle Ackerman, Ryan Coogler, and Lucretia Martel. Over opening weekend, cinematographers Natasha Breyer, Ashley Connor, Agnes Goddard, and Joan Churchill convened in our amphitheater for a discussion about the series, their careers and influences, and how they approach their craft. The discussion was moderated by series programmer Florence Almazzini. Let's go now to the discussion. So we, we do have an hour, so I'm going to ask, I guess, a few questions. We're going to see a few clips, and then we can open it up to the audience uh, if we haven't covered um, every possible field. I'm sure we will not cover everything. Um, so I can, uh, I can start maybe by um, uh, just an easy question. Um, Agnes was already here for Botravai and The Intruder, so she already uh, talked a little more. but. I think it's interesting to see why you were inspired to become a cinematography, what attracted you to the visual, or if you were inspired by the work of a particular person. So maybe for a change, maybe we could start with Natasha and work this way uh, for that question. Um, I didn't really know what a cinematographer was. Um, I was doing still photography since I was very young. Um, and I went to this school where um, it was like artistic black and white photography and drag room and stuff, and I was like the younger one in the school. And um, my friends who were a few years older, uh, when they were, had to decide to go to university or what to do, they, some of them went to film school. And because they were already photographers, um, in film school they automatically became the cinematographers in the short films and stuff, and through them, I learned that there was something called a cinematographer, and I was like, wow, I want to do that. So I went to film school. Very straightforward. <laughs> so you loved the visual aspect more? Yeah, I was already a photographer, so, mm -hmm. and I loved movies, but I, I, just, I hadn't really um, put the two together. I thought I was going to be a photographer. It was only because my fellow photographers were suddenly doing something that it was even better and more fun, and I was like, okay, I want to do that next. Yeah. Okay, uh, Ashley? Uh, I think for me, similarly, I didn't quite understand the breakdown of roles on a film set when I went to film school. I was a big movie lover growing up and uh, decided on a program at the college that still taught film, like actual 16 millimeter, and so, I think very quickly I just fell in love with the mechanical aspects of a camera and the control that you can have over an image. And I think the other part of it was I didn't understand like emulsions and how light affected them and it really just felt like a bit of magic when I got there. And uh, I've always been a more visual person than a verbal person, so uh, it made more sense to me, the mechanical aspect. And Joan? Um, I'm the odd man out here um, because I'm a documentary person. Um, my father had an educational film company, so I grew up with film in my life. I worked on the films in the summer. My brother and I were in some of the films, um, looking under rocks for salamanders. And um, so that was the last thing I was going to do when I went to college, and I was an English major. And then my last year, I had to take a French course. So I went to summer school in order to graduate. And I was there, so I said, well, I'll just take this professional filmmaking course, why not? Uh, and uh, I took this class, and it was at UCLA, the film school. I had an amazing teacher. We all made our own film in the six-week course. We had, uh, we, we did 
all the other roles, we worked on each other's films, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I made a documentary about a used car salesman. <laughs> and, and I shot it, and I edited it, and I was like, what am I gonna do with an English major? I don't wanna teach. And this would be such an amazing life to, to be able to do this and make a living. So I, it took me seven years to get my undergraduate degree because I then started again at film school. And Agnès, for people who did not hear you earlier today. Um, it took me also uh, a few years to go to the uh, cinema school because I, so I'm French, I come from France and uh, um, my relation with images uh, belonged to the fact that my uh, father used to take a lot of uh, family pictures. He was also shooting a, a family film. And I was uh, fascinated by that because uh, quite fast, I think I understood that it was his way to communicate with his family. So um, I was moved by that. In the meantime, in my small city, I could even say village, um, there was a, a movie theater, and uh, each week we would go and see a movie. So the connection was made, and uh, I dreamed to, to, to be connected with movies somehow, and I knew that it was with images, but I didn't know how to do, and uh, of course when I uh, told my parents about that after high school, they were not... Uh, it was not their taste. So I had to go through other studies before, but finally to join the cinema school. That's how I uh, ended up uh, going to cinema school and started to work. <laughs> For, to, to each of you, was there, um, when you started, I mean, you all had a different path, but was there maybe one cinematographer or one film in particular that made you you know, want to continue in that direction, or someone who were like, I want to do that work. I like the way the cinematography is in that film. Was there anything in particular, or like, you worked with Robbie Muller, which I think was a big um, part of what you like in cinematography, but I don't know for anyone else. And you're probably an inspiration for a lot of people too. Mm -hmm. So, that I don't know, but... Uh, um, no, no, because at that time when I when I started, I, I, it was a, it was like a, it was very abstract. It was just a connection with image, because I I've noticed that uh, you could uh, say things with images, and uh, what was even uh, more interesting for me, it was like uh, being behind a steel camera or behind a camera. So you, you were hidden behind, <laughs> and that was for me, <laughs> because I was very shy. And, uh, and uh, so I, I, um, I started and I, I began to know more about films, about directors, about movies, uh, when I was uh, stu studying in Paris. I spent my days in the Cinémathèque and uh, and so and so, and uh, um, of course I've noticed, you know, Bresson, I've noticed Godard because it was uh, that period, also the 60s, and, uh, and so and so, but it was more like um, how to make people traveling in their mind, how do you say things without saying these things very precisely with film. That was, uh, so I did not have any uh, precise thing. Just um, how an image can say, express something, have a sense and produce a sensation. That was, that was it. Then it's after, spending time in movie theater, cinematic, once again, you know, I, I discovered there was several things and um, maybe help also to, uh, to guide my taste. 
my faith. Um, do you have anything to add? I, um, the, the cameras, when I started at film school, which was 1964, the cameras had just been developed in France um, where you could put them on your shoulders, they were ergonomic, uh, it freed you to go and follow real life. And the head of the film school, this amazing guy named Colin Young, brought in all these amazing, the fathers of cinema verite, one of whom is sitting right over here, D.A. Pennybaker. <laughs> And there, there were lots of people came from the National Film Board in Canada, Terry Philgate and Mike Rubo, and uh, they, were, they came and spent whatever time they could, a week or a month or sometimes a quarter, or in the case of James Blue and Steve Larner who went to EDEC, uh, they taught for a couple of years. Um, and actually it was them that said to me, I, I never thought I could be a camera person. I, there wasn't any such thing as a camera woman in those days, but I was shooting and they, they noticed that I could shoot and stay in focus and follow. <laughs> and they encouraged me to, to, to do that. So that I owe that to the, to the French. I think for me, I studied a lot of experimental film in college, and so, you know, it's pretty typical, but the first time I saw a Maya Darren film, that kind of opened my mind to a new way of moving with the camera that I hadn't seen before, making connections, it had surrealism, it had a feminine energy to it, and I really responded, and, uh, I think that that was the first instance, like at land, watching that and seeing kind of how like she releases this energy, and that was really inspiring to me. But you know, filmmakers like Bruce Connor and Hollis Frampton, and you know, I think day one of film school we watched Lemon, which is just a five-minute shot of a lemon with the light going over it, but it like blew my mind. <laughs> the movement of light. So it was kind of this backbone of experimentation that sort of I integrated into my narrative work, I guess. It's funny that you talk about Maya Deren because it was a very strong influence, inspiration for me as well. Um, yeah, I mean, my transition, um, I really didn't know much about um, cinema. I think um, it was very separate for me, like the experience of um, movies as an expectator and, and the fact of making movies. And I was totally naive and innocent when I went into it. Like I had no idea um, who, was the pe who were the cinematographers, who were the people that were doing it. But I think um, I was also a dancer when I was very young and when I was a photographer. And I think when I discovered what cinematography was, it was like the connection of those two things because suddenly it was what I was trying to capture in one single frame became a movement and a choreography. And um, I think that, plus the fact of telling stories, um, like everything kind of crystallized and there was, I mean, it was just obvious that I, I had to do that. Um, maybe we can watch, uh, I would start maybe with a clip of uh, Agnes' work. We picked a few clips, sometimes it had to be a surprise, sometimes you picked a clip. Uh, so if we can have the clip for Agnès, it's a short clip of uh, Beau Travail, and then we can talk a little bit about the scene. It was hard to pick one scene. I mean, Beau Travail is just like a compilation of just like amazing scenes. Um, so can you talk about maybe um, that scene in particular? and you know the distance where you put the camera to get them and the uh, long frame too um so the uh, the actors they they were not soldier they were working with one dancer a co choreographer and um, bernardo monte 
who is part of the troop. And uh, there was also uh, inside the group uh, um, a young guy who used to be a legionnaire. And uh, to, he was uh, connecting you know, things between dance and the real uh, military exercises. I went to see them training in Paris, but uh, they were, the, the training was a general training, I would say, like uh, uh, to be in a good shape, to be able to, to, to make all these uh, physical performances. This choreography, I discovered it on the set, here. So Bernardo had worked, probably Claire had seen, seen it before, but I, I discovered it. And then, um, so I remember that we discussed where we would shoot this sequence, at what time, because of the sun and so and so. But then, I think I saw the, uh, the thing, the dance, I would say, once, and then I took the camera on the shoulder, and then it's, it has been improvised. But this has been possible because they, they were so well trained, so well, uh, it was, I had a, a little, uh, there was a, a very bad engine, but anyway, I could hear the music, a little bit beside me, and uh, and that's it. But that's I think that's Claire Claire's talent to put all the ingredient together and to push people to 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 be part of it to to bring uh, is is part. Uh, actually, and, and that's it. And uh, we were together. We were staying in the same hotel. We were. I was uh, seeing these guys all the time, knowing their faces, their singularities. Each of them, I don't know. And um, it was. Uh, I really agree with you. For me, film, and especially with the camera on shoulder, it's like dancing. I like that. To, to try to find the, the good rhythm with the actors, plus sometimes the fact to dare to add my own rhythm in their rhythm, which brings something like, it's not only to be uh, the witness of this, it's to, to bring life in it, to make it alive. And suddenly it's like, uh, it gives you wings when it's so well prepared, so well uh, executed. These guys were so well chosen. As you can see, they have all fantastic faces. And I'm not talking about good looking, but I mean strong presence, strong personality. And, uh, and that's it. And then suddenly, it's fantastic because that way, uh, it's dancing, meaning also that um, you forget that you have a machine. You are watching this without a machine. And I think uh, uh, an image is, uh, is um, complete, maybe it's very pretentious to say that, but when you see the image, when you forget that there was a machine to, 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 to do it, and it's, uh, and uh, that's what I like. For me, that's the most exciting part. And, um, and also this uh, time uh, uh, sense that you have to be there, you have to be in harmony in the meantime with the other. And um, that's now, not before, not after, now, in the meantime. And this is uh, a pressure that I, uh, like and uh, that's it. <laughs> okay. Um, I would like to maybe now play a second clip. Uh, so it's going to be a clip of the Neon Demon for Natasha, and we just talked about it, so you know what it is. <laughs> uh, for the clip of Neon Demon, please.
it, it's very interesting to see after the clip of Beau Travail too, uh, in terms of the gaze. Um, can, so Natasha, can you talk about uh, maybe that scene in particular and um, something you want to share with us? Yeah, it's so funny that you picked that scene because it's like my least favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> so I, I left it up to her to choose the scene because I didn't have time to think about it and now like, I have to talk about it, so it's very interesting. Um, I could not light anything because it was a low-budget uh, movie and so it was huge location, so I had to work with available lights and I could only do like a little softbox to light L, a little bit more flattering than all those spotlights. Uh, so I suffered a lot that day. It was like, oh, like all the film I'm doing, all this like fun stuff, and here I have to live with these white walls. And this. And so I don't have anything to say about the lighting except for apologies. But uh, um, yeah, I think there's something interesting in the framing because it is about the gaze, yes. um, but we're actually not looking, we're not seeing what he sees. No? And the whole scene is really about people looking and, you know, what Abby Lee is seeing and everything happens on her eyes and in Nibola's eyes and on else. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have a lot to say about that scene. I don't think it's that interesting. <laughs> um, I, I think maybe, the, yeah, the achievement is to, you know, to, to, to tell the story of the characters without really, like, showing the meat um, so much. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, um... well, we also I didn't want to pick a scene that came long uh, after in the film because we're showing Neon Demon at eight tonight, and in case people haven't seen it, I spare all the gory details <laughs> and I keep a really clean scene. But I was yeah, it's a gaze that's really interesting about like how you see the man looking at the woman, yeah. but you still relate to the woman more, and I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, so, what is next? I think next we have a clip uh, for you, Joan. Uh, it's um, on Eileen, uh, that um, you were co-director on the film as well as a cinematographer. It's a, it's a very tough clip. Yeah, um, I don't know where to begin. Do I have to explain what, what the film's about? <laughs> um, should I? I? I think people are aware of what the film okay. is about yeah. and the story of Alien okay. uh, Warners, but maybe why, you know? Well, um, uh, this is a film that Nick Broomfield and I did. We were in the middle of shooting another film called Biggie and Tupac. Uh, when Nick got a summons to appear, um, Nick had made a film about Eileen 10 years before when she was first arrested for killing six men. Um, but so we, he was subpoenaed. We, we, we were in shooting mode anyway, so I just picked up, actually I picked up my first ever small digital camera and took it. Uh, we got permission from the judge to shoot in the trial. Uh, she was in a local jail, and the sheriff gave us permission to shoot an interview, um, not this one. Um, and we were, all of her friends from her past came and told the story of how incredibly horrible her life had been. She'd been kicked out of the house when she was a, about 16, she was the product of incest. Her mother was the product of incest. Her grandfather was abusing her. Um, she slipped through somehow all the social services. Her teachers didn't remember her. And um, she ended up uh, sleeping in the cars of, you know, her friends and in, in Detroit, you know, near Detroit. It was cold in the winter. And um, so she ended up going to Florida and uh, where it was warm and, you know, became a hooker. Um, we knew that she had, had a, she described in the first film that Nick made a, what had happened to her, uh, very a horrible, violent rape, um, which was the first man that she killed. And, 
in self-defense. Uh, and that set her off on a killing spree and she killed five other men. Um, at this point, she had been on death row for 10 years, uh, in complete isolation. She was in the wo woman's wing and there, was no, there were no other women there. Um, and she had decided that she didn't want to live. Um, so she changed her testimony uh, to, to say that she, you know, had killed all these people in cold blood. And, um, and then what happens right after that moment that you see is that I ran out of tape, I went off to change the tape, I was at the side, I had, you know, could hear what was being said, and I was at the side, and she, Nick got her to admit that in fact um, she had killed in self-defense and but she, she just wanted to to die she couldn't take it anymore and we and I shot from the side uh, she didn't realize I was shooting um, it's people have criticized me for that but um, there anyway as you can see I got sucked into her, her eyes and um, uh, it didn't help that this is a remastered film, so it's now 16 by 9. It had been shot in 4 by 3, which is a little bit less tight than what you see. Um, but, and I wasn't really aware of how um, I was shooting. And in fact, it was Colin Young, this, the same man that got me into the film school, um, who asked me at the end, he said, you know, why, why did you shoot so tight? And it wasn't until he asked me that question that I understood. How, how I had shot, I had just been sort of pulled into that tortured soul and um, shot it very, very tight. Uh, so that's, it's gonna be showing in a couple of days, come and see it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's showing on Monday night. But you're also back on Tuesday night for uh, Gimme Shelter. So we have, um, which is not part of the female gaze, but it can be part of the female gaze too. So we'll have you back for tonight. Uh, and now we have a clip for uh, Ashley. So it's a clip of uh, not the film we're showing in the series. We're showing the miseducation of Cameron Post on Sunday. But you picked something else for Madeline Madeline, uh, directed by Josephine Decker. So we're ready for Ashley now. That's tight, um, <laughs> yes. and purposefully so. Um, so, you know, I picked this film instead of Miseducation because I think it's more representative of my personal eye. Um, and that's not to say Cameron Post isn't, it's just this is like kind of a peek inside my brain. Um, and, you know, the way that Josephine and I tend to work is very, um, the process is very open and free-flowing and it's all pretty improvised. And so for me, I'm working off of intuition a lot and uh, Josephine uh, allows me to kind of feel out moments from an emotional perspective. And this scene in particular kind of relates back to a flashback dream sequence in the film and so we knew that we wanted it to be textural, we wanted it to be visceral, we wanted you to kind of fall into them as opposed to like hearing the words, you feel the words and um, I think I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I think it is rep very representative of the way you worked like mostly with Joseph film and, and the way you have the close-ups so I do think it was a, a really good clip where you could talk about um, how you like to have the distance from the camera towards the subject and how it's going to make me, us feel in the audience. Yeah, I, I think for her films it's really about proximity and um, for me it's how close I can get to an actor and still feel their movement and you know we've kind of talked about dancing with the camera and I always think it's like a pod de deux. Um, to a certain degree, and so as they move, I move, and uh, this is kind of a gooier moment that um, I was able to just kind of 
flow with them as the words came out, I guess. So I wanted to ask maybe a couple of more questions before we can open up to the audience. Um, so when you, I mean, obviously you have your favorite directors uh, or you work with, but before you start a project, what do you consider before accepting the work of um, a director? Like they send you a script and then you say yes, or it's the name of the director where you're gonna say yes. Obviously, I'm sure if Claire sends you something, <clears throat> you're gonna say yes. I don't even know if Claire calls you, you probably like, have like instinct, you know, like it waves that go from brain to brain <laughs> or something like this. But like what makes you accept a project or what makes you want to do a project? Or would you go after someone um, and do something yourself saying like, I want to shoot this? Uh, anyone who can start, but it's open. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, it depends sometimes um, if you don't know a person, if the uh, director doesn't know you, he will uh, get in touch with you and propose or not propose you to read the script before you meet. So it depends on the way it's going to happen. But of course, anyway, the. Uh, must be a combination somehow to 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 be attracted to accept to say yes to a proposition, the script and the and the person because uh, um, first of all the script because let's imagine for instance that the subject of the script is something that you are totally against you cannot do that <laughs> because it's a uh, when you are working on a film, uh, it's like making an image. You are taking position, no? So it's it's uh, definitely so. You, I would not be able to work on a film that says things I just don't agree with, are against my uh, yes beliefs and uh, conviction. I would say, and um, and then. The, of course, the personality of the director, the man or woman, you, you, you can be sensitive to that. And uh, maybe he has done already films so you can watch, maybe he has not. But still, there is something that I would like to say is you really discover a director on a set. It's not because you're going to spend even two or three or four hours in a cafe, you won't meet this person as a director. You're going to meet him on the set. And uh, so, anyway, you, are, you have to admit that you are going, it's gambling a little bit, no? And, uh, and, uh, Sometimes you, you make good rencontres and sometimes not so good. But um, it's always interesting in any case because you learn also a lot, a lot with bad rencontres. Even more, I would say. Uh, and uh, that's why also it's so uh, interesting. And... Um, but it's really part of our job to... There is not only the question of being re responsible for the image, it's also the question of uh, finding the mode of collaboration. And it has to be rich because uh, directors' personalities are very uh, different, you know. There is a big range, wide range, as there is a wide range of DOPs, as, a, as, a, as in life. That's all. Uh, I think the question I ask myself is, am I going to like myself after doing this film? <laughs> And uh, we were talking earlier about how uh, it's, it's good to have a family that you work with. And uh, that's what I have done my entire career. There's you know, three or four people that I've 
worked with time and time again, Nick Broomfield, Barbara Koppel. I work with Chris Hedges and Penny on their films. In fact, we did a film called Down from the Mountain together. And I remember Penny, there were three of us shooting. Um, and it was, uh, it was a concert at, at uh, the old Ryman Hall in Nashville. And um, Penny said, well, you just, you know, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I'm, we all know what we're doing, so just, you know. We could see each other and we were shooting, th there were three of us and I think there were three musicians and we could kind of keep an eye on what the other camera person was doing and it worked out. Nobody gave us, you know, you shoot the close up and you shoot the master, etc. Um, it was, you know, it's, uh, I think I get hired because I, people th think of me as a verite, observational person who can follow a process and get my foot in the door and um, come back with the goods. So very often on the films that I do with Barbara Koppel, I don't even see her. I went to Iraq for a month and worked on a film about women journalists. She wasn't there. Um, that's that's great. Bye at the at JFK. <laughs> and, but you, you said you like working with a family when the family's not here. <laughs> right. Well, I were you know working for the same people over and over again. So yeah, I've been very lucky. Nobody nobody's ever asked me to shoot a commercial, so I've never had to decide whether I wanted to do it. <laughs> I think for me, you know, scripts kind of lie to you in a lot of ways and you can read a script and it can seem like it's going to be great and then it makes a terrible movie or you read a script you think it's awful and it makes a great movie. And so script wise, I, it's kind of a moral clause where it's like, do I believe in this or do I not believe in this? And then meeting, I 100% believe that uh, you don't meet a person until you meet them on set. Um, and I've made plenty of mistakes. Um, but I think it's trusting your gut to a certain degree. And like usually the films that I've done that I didn't have a great relationship on set, I had like red flag after red flag being thrown at me and I was just like, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, it'll be okay, I'm sure everyone's nice and it's not. Um, <laughs> but I think now, you know, I'm advancing in my career to the point where I have a more selective power and uh, I don't have to shoot just to get a paycheck. Um, and so I think now, the questions I ask myself are like, does this movie need to be seen by people? Does it matter? Like, and why, and I always ask the director, why do you want to make this movie? Because if they don't have an answer, it's not going to get answered the second you get on the set. So I feel like they have to kind of have a reason for wanting a ton of people to work for them. Yeah, I feel very connected uh, well, to what everyone <laughs> was saying. There's not so much more to add, but yes, I think um, what I can add uh, to it is like there's an element of passion that has to be really strong. So it's not just I, I have to agree, like Agnes was saying. Like I can, of course, I cannot do something that I don't agree with. But I, I think I not only have to agree, but I have to feel like a really strong passion about it. Um, I. It's really about the script and resonating with the theme and what's the message to the world and what this movie can do that it's positive for humanity. Um, so I really have to resonate with that and then with the director, even if you only meet them on set. But as much as you can know before set, um, all that also has to align for me. Like all the stars have to align and that's what I'm super picky and sometimes I don't do a film you know, for two years. Um, so I have to feel that they have a really strong reason to do the film, they have really a strong vision for the film. Um, because if everything goes wrong personality-wise and in the relationship on set, 
the, my, my passion for the story and um, the, the things in common that we had for wanting to tell the story together, that's what's gonna sustain the relationship and it's gonna keep me there, you know? If everything goes really bad, I know I'm still there's a reason why I'm here and I'm still gonna fight for the film every day, even if I have to fight with the director. Um, so that's really important and it's really important to feel it here. And I've been very close to the movies many times, which had all the elements to say yes, and then something here was saying no. And every time I listened to this, it, it was right. And the few times that I didn't, I wish I did. Um, and this might be a thing, like of this female thing that we are luckily not talking much about. Uh, that might be a female thing to talk about because I think it's, you know, the, the wound, wisdom is something that women have. And the fact that we can, I mean, also, men have a gut feeling. But there's, there's <laughs> but, um, but, you know, there's a connection. Yeah. That it's, um, you know, the, the, the intuition that is very strong. And I think all of us work a lot from there, not so much from here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's a great answer, but um, <laughs> now I'm going to have to ask the question everybody's here for. <laughs> The female gaze. So to explain a little bit, because I know, especially for like in the French language, it sounds really bad. Um, the female gaze. It's female is used for most the animals, so it, it's not a good translation. Not almost. Uh, all the yeah. Well, specifically or, for yes. animals. <laughs> uh, but we we were starting, uh, you know, when we were thinking about uh, what the male gaze is. And if people could identify with a female gaze, so it, it's kind of a broad question, of course, but my instinct was, I think I can tell when a man has shot a film where it makes me uncomfortable in terms of the, the way the body would be shown. And I don't think a woman would shoot the same way. However, you know, it's just, I don't usually know, unless I've been told who shot what as a viewer. But you, as someone on the other side of the camera, do you have an opinion, or do you think it exists? And you can totally say no. <laughs> I think we work for directors, so our gaze is at the service of somebody else's original vision that we have to, as we just talked about, resonate and decide we're collaborating to help manifest this vision. So it's already a collaboration process. Um, I, I work with a lot of male directors and female directors, and some male directors have a very strong empathy and a, a very feminine gaze, you know, where they can, um, yeah, it's like the, you could call it feminine energy or whatever, and some women director can be very masculine. So I, it, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense to talk about, you know, gender for me. It's like every individual artist has a world. It's a world. Every person, it's a world. No, but I, I agree, but I would say that female, it's true that for me, it sounds, it's very violent the way it sounds uh, in my French here, because it's, uh, I feel like I'm a dog or a cat, <laughs> an animal, anyway. Female, female, it's, it's really, uh, but anyway, what I want to say is, um, it's a, when I am on the set, it's for work. And this time, in English, you have a fantastic word. It's cinematography, cinematographer. And I am on a set for a work, which is to be a cinematographer. And I'm working with a person, a woman or a man, which is a director. So there is no question of gender. It's a question of work. Work and that's it. Ideas. And uh, so, you know, how can I... For me, it's, there is no uh, images or uh, I don't know. It's uh, cinematography and it's, uh, it's, it's a language. We are all talking the same language here men and women, so cinematography is, why should it be two languages? I don't know. There is no reason why. I'll, I'll battle a little bit back, only because 
Only because I feel like, you know, as we move more towards like being genderless people, which I totally am here for, and I think women as DPs have fought for equality for so long, but at the same time, totally gonna like fan out on you. Like, I feel like when I saw your work for the first time, like something unlocked in me that I hadn't seen bodies shot in the way that I think you approach them. And while I won't necessarily argue for a female gaze or a male gaze, I think that there is something that women bring, and I think it gets so complicated, and I think women can occupy and, uh, and objectify people, and they can occupy the male gaze, just as men can occupy the female gaze, or whatever we want to define that as, but I think for me, you know, when I look at your work, when I look at Ellen Curis's work, when I look at all these women who are kind of heroes of mine, it does unlock something else emotionally in me that, not that men haven't, but it's not the same. And I, and I think it's, I don't know, I think it's abstract and because it is so abstract, it's difficult to define. And that's like the separation between emotionally how I feel about like Beautravai is very subtle. But, uh, thank you, but it, it, it's... <laughs> no, but what I want to say is for me, this is the rich, richness of cinema that, uh, and of uh, human beings. It's just part of all these uh, wide range variations of sensitivities of different people, singularities of people. It's not only a question of uh, gender. It's just that it's, it's fantastic that there is so many people totally different. So that means there is a lot of possibilities to express, to, to, to find words, to find image, to find uh, notes, to find uh, everything. It's, uh, it's just... Um, human beings' singularities, which are really uh, infini, how do you say that? Infinite. Okay, for, for me. And, uh, and I think uh, I, uh, I wish it, it would not be um, put into a, a binary uh, thing, man and woman, just uh, Human beings, uh, it's it's uh, it's fantastic. Uh, so much, uh, yeah. I, I don't disagree with you, but <laughs> you know, John. I, I I, given that I my work is so different from the other women up here, um, I, I actually think there's a big difference between. Um, the kind of access that I get and the trust that I build with people. Um, I, I think women drill down and they're not afraid of emotions. They have empathy. Um, they, I, I like to work very close, physically very close to people. I like to try to be in the circle of interaction between people, which means I'm literally, and sometimes I'm, I'm shocked when I open my other eye and see how close I am to people. But, and it's, you know, it's, it's something you have to earn. It's, you know, people have to trust you. You have to work at that every day. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the guys would be shooting over their shoulder a more on a longer lens. They, they, they wouldn't be trying to insinuate themselves in, right into the, the heart of the interaction, which is what I'm always trying to do. Um, so I, I do think, you know, there, there is a difference, um, it, at least in this kind of observational catches catch can following what uh, what you're you're doing you know you're you're being led into people's lives uh, they 
they have, um, usually in documentaries, they've got something they want to say. Um, so, you know, they're using you and you're, you're using them. And it's, it's a kind of an interesting um, dynamic. But uh, it's something you don't, you can't betray that trust that they have in you. Um, and I, I think that it's different very often. Uh, we've been talking for a long time, and I think maybe uh, the audience, may, we have time for a couple of questions. Uh, I, I, do we have microphones or? Yeah. We have microphones, okay. So there's one person here. Um, hi, I'm uh, Kate Schmitz, um, and I'm a junior at Ithaca. Uh, and as much as I love Ithaca, I think there are relatively few female role models there. Um, and I, we get a lot of advice um, what to do, like as an aspiring DP, what to do after college. But I was wondering if you guys had any like specific advice or like moments that you thought really helped like advance your careers. So you want some advice? Uh, Just as like a... if you had like a moment, like or okay. like specific experiences that you really thought mm -hmm. were influential, so, like how you were shooting or. Um, Is it for all of them or yeah, one in particular? Yeah. You didn't pick one. <laughs> I, I didn't. I'm sorry. You know, if you didn't, uh, to, to start. Don't keep talking to your microphone. What's the question? Sorry. It, it just you want some advice as a as a DP. Yeah, as, a, yeah. and as an like an aspiring DP. Shoot as you see. Shoot everything and never give up. <laughs> Don't take no for an answer. <laughs> Do you feel my gaze on you, of, Ashley? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, uh, the, that's really great advice. And hi, Ithaca College person. Uh, I'm sad that you don't get Kathy Crane or Meg Jameson, like hero women of mine who kind of educated me there. Um, but I think, you know, I think I kind of came out at a different time. And for me, it was really helpful to find jobs that didn't creatively deplete me so that I could make money and continue uh, shooting low, no budget movies on the side. And, you know, I babysat, I made ballet workout videos for like four years, and I would bring a hard drive with me on every film shoot that wasn't paying me, and on my off days I'd be editing. So it's really about finding something that doesn't, because I think too often when I was in AC, it was really difficult to free my brain to want to go shoot on set for, you know, 12 to 14 hours or more. Um, so I don't know, finding something that doesn't eat away at your ability to continue creating. Yeah, I think assisting is a very good way of learning after school. I didn't do it, but um, <laughs> so I, I was lucky to just go straight into shooting and I had no experience assisting. Uh, but, you know, I see it a lot with my assistants and my trainees, and it's, like, amazing. I wish I could have been on set, you know, with any of my heroes and learn from that. So I think um, that's a really valuable experience. And, yeah, in terms of shooting, um, I think it's really important to, to be very passionate about what you're shooting and not compromise. Um, I think if you start doing that in your first short films and stuff after school, um, you can get confused. Uh, it's like an instrument that needs to be tuned, and you can get detuned because you are like, okay, I'm doing this to practice coverage, or you know, like it could be a reason. Okay, I just want to keep shooting, and I'm gonna learn about lighting. There can always be, of course, a positive thing to get from each experience, but there's also the depletion of doing something that is, is not you. And these are very important moments to find your voice. And the more you're in alignment with who you are as an artist, um, you might be shooting less projects, but every project is gonna represent you. Um, and, and I think that's how you keep growing and you keep finding you know, who you are as an artist. And then when people are seeing your work, they're seeing that. They don't have to like read between the lines, you know, well, who would she actually be if she could have done, you know, like whatever. 
Um, so I, yeah, I think it's really important to have that integrity uh, all the time, but especially when you're starting, because you have to find your own voice. Uh, there's a question over there. Yes, uh, I question to actually for Natasha. Mm -hmm. The fact that you uh, grew up in Argentina and Barcelona, how has that affected your work and your choices? Yeah, well, it's what we're saying about like each cinematographer is a person that is the collection of all your life experiences. So I'm, I'm all of that, um, like a global gypsy that lived in different cultures and have very extreme and traumatic life experiences and uh, beautiful life experiences as well. And, um, and I've, as you do when you live in different cultures, you learn different ways of seeing the world and different ways of speaking. Every language is a different way of thinking um, and experiencing reality. So, you know, all that is a collection of things that makes who I am today and, and um, which is different to who I'm going to be in 10 years or who I was 10 years before, you know, it was like few less heartbreaks and countries and um, containers with all my books in different countries. Um, so yeah, I mean, every, you know, everything is, it, it's part of the, the, the final cocktail. We have time for one last because Natasha is presenting The Neon Demon in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yes, you, you're right there. Hi guys, I'm Olivia, nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> the communication between either the actor or whoever the human being is behind the camera and the cinematographer or the camera itself is such a delicate one because especially for actors, it, it can be a very vulnerable thing that is, is happening in front of the lens. So what do you think is the most, and any one of you can answer or all of you, but what do you think is the most important part of trying to get that frame to produce uh, that sensation that or getting to the, uh, the audience to travel inside of the mind of, of the character or of the subject that you're shooting? In less than five minutes. <laughs> I think for me it's a lot about empathy and so you know when working with actors it's really about kind of making a connection and building I know safe space gets like overused these days, but actually like building some sort of connection and feeling so that like you can be more in tune with them. I, I think it's to inspire confidence from my, uh, but uh, you know, the, you as a cinematographer, you, you cannot interfere so easily uh, between the, uh, director and actors, Mia, I always leave the director talk to, to the actors. And if I have something to say, I will, uh, I will say something to the director, but in his ear, discreetly, not to, you know, to be, uh, and, um, and then as a cinematographer, I think when you, at the end of a, a sequence when the director says cut, if the actor raise his head and look at you because you were behind the camera, you know that he's in, in confidence, he has confidence. And this is really important. So the thing is to try to develop this uh, confidence relation with the actors, but it has to be made very discreetly, because uh, as we say in French, on peut pas marcher sur les plates-bandes du metteur en scène. <laughs> you, you cannot uh, walk on the salads of the director. <laughs> it's funny because you have like this kind of secret communication with the eyes, with the actor. So you, you're not really allowed to step into directing, but it's just like one look, you know, like when you say cut or whatever, and they look at you and if they see that you're happy and you feel like it's fine, there's like this unspoken um, language between you and they're like, okay, yeah, Natasha is happy, then it's, you know, this was a good one. Yeah. It's called the happy gaze. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up for tonight, but I hope you'll come to see Neon Demand and tomorrow. <laughs>
close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.